I'm so excited about this kingdom story and this series that we've been, been talking about um, for a number of reasons. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for me. I'm excited about our minds being transformed, right, being renewed, uh, getting a new perspective on how we view ourselves, how we view God, and how we view each other, and our place in this whole kingdom story. It's, I mean, it's just beautiful. It's a, it's a poetic story of redemption. It really is. It, it, the whole story is about, um, about God making all things new, about the God of all creation transforming and renewing all things and redeeming all things from what was lost to what was won at the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're in this third week of this, of this series. And what I want to do today is I really want to kind of recap. I want to kind of go through kind of like a, maybe a 10, 15 minute recap. And then we're going to really hone in on the reality that the kingdom has come in Jesus Christ and the fullness of what all that means. And it'll take a lifetime. If some of you, if you haven't gotten a Bible study or our devotional book, I, I believe you have more back in the back. Make sure you get a Bible study, even if you're not taking the class, or you're not uh, part- able to participate in the small groups, get the Bible study, um, because it's so, it's, it's a powerful thing. But this kingdom story, when I started to get a hold of this personally in my life, it just radically transformed who I was, and how I saw myself. I mean, that was huge in terms of how I saw myself. Instead of seeing myself as a sinner, I saw myself as a son, beloved of the Father, right? And then all of a sudden, I started seeing that the the reality is, is that I'm called to do the same things that Jesus did, right? That I am actually, eternity is living inside of me. Eternity, the kingdom of heaven is inside of me. Holy Spirit is dwelling and chose to dwell. I am a dwelling place of heaven. That's radical. I know, but when, we, when our minds get transformed with this, it, right, it just totally changes how we see ourselves and how we start living lives. Because a lot of times we, we live lives as victims, don't we? It's easy to fall into that victim mentality. We're not victims, we're victors. We are victors. We have won the victory through Jesus Christ, right? And so that's why I'm so excited about this. And I know this is challenging. Let me just say this. We're all on this journey together. I mean, we're all at different paradigms of of understanding, learning to think like Jesus. That's where I really, I like to say, if I could summarize the kingdom story, it's like to see life and to begin to perceive reality through the lens of Jesus Christ and how he saw it, right? Because that's what we're called to do is we're we're called to learn to to think like Jesus. And so our worldviews are getting uh, wrecked, aren't they? Our worldviews, our world perspective is is getting radically changed and so so what i want to do is i want to summarize this and then we're going to dive into and i'm actually going to read a lot of scripture today it's kind of hard when you look at the whole thread to quote like every passage and verse and everything but but i do want to dive into a bunch of scripture today i'm really going to just let the scripture preach right the video was good but i want to let the let, let the let the word of god just preach and we're going to open our, our Bibles to Ephesians. So if you have your Bible with you, if you want to open it up to Ephesians. But with that, I want to pull up this diagram. Go ahead and, sorry, uh, yeah, Eli, if you could just track with me here. I'm going to go through some step, steps of this. And if, you, if you're new with us and you ha- if you haven't seen this yet, this is to really help us understand the kingdom story, okay? And what we call, it, what the Bible refers to, uh, this, this current age that we live in is called the, this evil age, or this age, is a lot of times the phraseology that's used. 
the biblical, this phrase, that this, this age, excuse me, is the age that we're currently living in. And this age comes to an end with the second coming of Christ. All right, so we're on this timeline, right, from the beginning of creation all the way through. And with the second coming of Christ, that inaugurates the age to come. The phraseology there is the age to come. That's the new heavens and the new earth and everything that we get to see there, right? Go ahead into the next slide. All right, so then we have Jesus, and he comes on the scene here. And, you know, all of the Israelites were looking, when they think about Jesus coming, they're expecting this age to come, right? The second coming of Christ. But what actually happens is Jesus is coming twice, and the first coming of Jesus is when he is crucified as the lamb that we just learned about and how he paid the price for all of us, and he's resurrected. And then this actually inaugurates the last days. So it's the last of this age that we're living in. This, but from the time of the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ, we call that the last days. And it's when the Holy Spirit, Joel talks about this, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. And this is the kingdom time. And we call this, go ahead to the next slide. This is the already and the not yet, or the now and the not yet. This time frame between when Jesus is enthroned, right? And all things are coming underneath his feet. We're going to see this in scripture. All things are being placed underneath his feet. And the writer of Hebrews says this in verse 9, 2, 9, for in that he put all in subjection under him, right? Because Jesus is Lord of all, and he's been, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. This is the not, the not yet time frame that we're, we, we live in, right? We're going to talk about this today, okay? This not yet time frame. In the next two weeks after this one, we're really going to hone in to how do we live in this arena or this time frame of the now and the not yet or the already and the not yet, okay? We're really going to hone it. But what I want to talk about today is the first coming of Christ. But before we do that, let's go back, okay? I want to go back and kind of paraphrase Give us a big swipe, a big picture of this redemptive story of Christ. Go ahead to the next one. Right there. Let's just stop right there. So in the beginning, we have, you know, at the beginning of creation, if we go back into Genesis, God is love. That's the fundamental theme of, of the New Testament that we get, this picture of the perfect love of God, that, that he is perfectly love. The essence of who God is is love, right? And he exists in three persons persons in father son and holy spirit and they in the, we actually see this in genesis where it says let us make man in our image and our likeness okay and so they are in perfect relationship perfect love okay god is perfect love and god is in as a part of that god is good and this is simple goodness it's simple we don't have to question the, or, or try to make the, the love of God and the, and the goodness of God complex. It's not complex at all. And this is a theme that we see throughout the story of the Bible. Sometimes we get confused on this. And the enemy tries to confuse us. In fact, that's exactly what happened at the beginning, right? Because they confused the, the enemy said, did God really say this? And he questions and he makes Adam and Eve in, in the story, right? Question the goodness of God. Question the character. Why is he doing? What is the motivation behind what he's doing? Everything that God does is, is motivated by love because it's the essence of who he is. And that's fundamental to kingdom theology and in, 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 in our paradigm and our, in our worldview. So God is perfectly love. And, in this, in this, in, and he's sovereign over all the universe. 
And God sovereignly creates the heavens and the earth. And then God creates us in his image and his likeness. So go ahead to the next slide there. But God chooses, right, for the sake of a loving partnership with us on the earth, he chooses, this is the key, he chooses to limit himself by giving us freedom. Why? Because love and loving relationship, loving partnership requires freedom. We're not puppets in this little, and God's just motivating us and pulling all the strings, right? That's not what love is all about. That has no love in it at all. That's called control, and that's not who God is. And so out of this loving relationship and out of this desire for a loving partnership with us, he creates us in his image and his likeness. And he gives us the freedom and the authority to rule and to reign on the earth against the powers of darkness in this cosmic battle. That's one of the things I want you to see throughout today's message is this thread of the cosmic battle. We see this even from the beginning when God created it said, he created the heavens and the earth, and there was darkness over the earth. There was darkness. And in the midst of this, the Holy Spirit's hovering, and then he says, let there be light. And we see light and darkness, and light invading darkness. We see this with, with the enemy, right? We see, if you read the story of Genesis, that the enemy was on the planet. He was there. He was influencing. He was a force. We see this with the words that God spoke to us. He says, subdue the earth. Rule and reign over it. All those words, if you look at the Hebrew, are warfare words before sin ever entered into the world. We were called to rule. We were destined. Listen, we were destined to fight against darkness. I mean, just look at us as a society. Have you ever wondered why like 95% of the movies that we watch are about good and evil? It's a battle between good and evil. Think about it. It's because it's our DNA. It's, it's, it's us as humans. We're infatuated with this fighting and this war, this battle that we were actually destined to participate in. So he chooses to limit himself by giving us the freedom and the authority to rule and to reign on the earth against the powers of darkness in this cosmic battle. So we're placed there to bring heaven to earth. To manifest his character, his nature. Because his, we are his likeness and in his image. But instead of subduing Satan, we actually listen to his lies concerning God and the questioning of his motives. And then we partner with Satan and we rebel against God. And what's the, what's the consequence of that? Heaven and earth is split. Instead of being one, like we saw in the video, overlapping of the two kingdoms, we see them separated, right? Sin enters into the world. And what do we lose in that? Perfect, you're right on cue. See, Eli's amazing. What do we lose? We partner with evil and we lose intimacy. First of all, we lose intimacy with God. That's fundamental. Our relationship is broken with him and we lose intimacy. What is, what's the ramification? We don't understand the character and nature of who God is. We fundamentally are confused on who, the character and the nature of God. So we lose intimacy with him. We lose our authority. 
All right? We lose our authority, our ruling and reigning on the earth. It's stripped from us, and actually God, Satan becomes the god of this world. This is very clear biblically throughout Scripture, and you're going to see it in even Ephesians when we read it, that Satan becomes the god of this world, the ruler of this world system, to execute evil and darkness and, and greed and envy and pride, and all these things are introduced now into the world system that we're living in. We lose our identity, right? Instead of imaging God and imaging love, we're imaging evil and darkness. Hate, murder, all these things are then introduced into the, into the world system that we now know. We lose eternity. Death comes into the world. Sickness is introduced into the world. Our bodies begin to be attacked. Instead of being mortal, and living forever, we've lost that, and now we're enslaved to death. So we lose eternity. And then finally, we lose our destiny, which is we were called to destroy the works of darkness on the earth and to transform earth to be like heaven. And this ushers in what we call this evil age. Go ahead, go to the next one. Next slide. But God. I love that. But God. But God. In the midst of all this horrible things, in the midst of this evil age, God does not forsake us. His face does not turn away from us. In fact, the first thing that he does is he, he, he gets clothing for Adam and Eve. If you read the story, he, he, he actually, is, his face is towards us. He understands the problem. He understands the evil. He understands the gravity of the situation. And this starts on this love story of redemption. He begins moving into the earth to redeem that which is lost. So he reveals himself to Abraham. Go ahead. He reveals himself to Abraham because he needs a people that he can bring forth the Son of Man. Right? He needs a people that can birth right, this, the Son of Man, the God-child. He speaks and works through the prophets with 351 prophetic statements predicting and declaring the coming of the Son of Man. And this climaxes with the first coming of Jesus, the Son of Man who declares the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We need to repent. What's repent mean? Change the way you think. Change the way you see yourself. Change the way you see God. And change the way that you see others. Because you see yourselves as slaves and you're actually sons and daughters of God. You see God as evil. You see God as, as judgmental, but he's actually the perfect image of what love is. You see others as the problem. He says the others are not the problem. Satan is the problem. He is the source behind every evil, every, every, all death, destruction, stealing, killing, destroying. The source of it is Satan. And Jesus shows up on the scene and, and declares the kingdom of heaven is near. And there's this breaking in of light into the darkness. Boom. Now, I would encourage you to read, if you want to, like, get some in your Bible study, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures to go after. I can't share those today, but read Acts chapter 2, Peter's first sermon, and you'll see this kingdom thread. He basically takes you through the exact same thread that I take you through. Hebrews chapters 1 and 2 are, is another one. I was struggling which one to pick, which text to pick, but I'll just mark Hebrews 1 and 2, 1, 2, and 3. Read those. 
awesome, you'll see this. In fact, that's where Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, where we talk about the now and the not yet. But I want to pick off, uh, start off with Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to talk about, obviously, we're going to focus in on the first coming of Christ. Okay, the first coming of Christ and all the ramifications, the depths of that. And let me just say this. There's no way I'm going to touch all this, right? I mean, we're not going to get into the fullness of this. And I would encourage you, like, this is a lifetime study of understanding the depth, the greatness of all that Jesus has done. And I'm going to tell you this, that don't settle for anything less than what Jesus died for. If you leave here with anything, and I'm going to finish with this statement, don't settle for anything less than what Jesus died for. Because he died for a lot. I mean, forgiveness is just a part of it. I mean, he conquered sin and death. He conquered, the, the, he conquered Satan. So let's look at this radical invasion of heaven and, and earth in the form of Jesus Christ. And Paul talks about this. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. This was his good pleasure. This was the pleasure of the Father, was to redeem us as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Apart from your sin, apart from your screw-ups, and we all have them, and I don't care how big it is, we got to get the small thinking out of our minds that the cross can't touch certain things because there's nothing that Jesus can't do. There's nothing that the cross hasn't paid for. There's, nothing, there's no problem or situation that's too far gone. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in the beloved. Perfect in his sight. He is madly in love with you. Get that in our skulls, right? I mean, get that in our thinking. Any thought that thinks that God is mad at us or that I have done something too far is from the enemy. Let's just get that straight because God is always moving towards us. He's always for us. He's not against us. He's loving. He loves us. He'll love us to the end. And nothing will change that. He cannot love us more and he will not love us less. We are his beloved. So in Jesus our intimacy with the Father has been completely restored. In Christ, when we say yes to him, we are perfectly in fellowship and relationship with the Father. James said it this way, that if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. As soon as you turn your heart to him, as soon as you call out to him, boom, he's there. He is for you. He's with you. He's not against you. He's your greatest cheerleader Thank you, somebody. That was good. Little, little response. I know I'm getting loud, but I get excited. So in Jesus, our intimacy and our relationship with the, with the Father has been completely restored. And I'm going to talk about what that 
entails in just a moment. Let's continue in verse 7. Let's jump down to, go to the next slide. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to start there. In him we have redemption through his blood. I'm going to read verse 7. This is going to lead into verse 10 because I couldn't fit it all on there. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, in him. Again, this is that whole thing of every, all the enemies being put underneath Jesus' feet. This is exactly what Acts talks about in chapter 2, of all things coming underneath the lordship of Christ. Jesus is Lord. This is a revelation. You're either going to bow to him now or you're going to bow to him later. That's just a reality. Some of us are going to call him Savior, which he is, but everyone's going to call him Lord at some point. And that's just a reality. There's not two ways. Let me just say there's not multiple ways. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and we have to settle that into our hearts. But everything's being formed and brought underneath his feet. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? I'm skipping here to verse 19 now. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and all power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. The age to come. He is the supreme. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this isn't just, so now all of a sudden we have this lordship of Christ, but who's a part of that? We are. His body are a part of this authority and the restoration of that authority. And now we are the rulers and the reigners of the earth, and we're ruling and reigning with Christ. You're not a victim, you're a victor. Let's get this out of our heads. I know this is revolutionary because everything around you screams just the opposite. But I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is where it begins. Right? This is where it begins. When your mind starts going, no, I'm a victor. No, I have the authority. No, I am a son of the most high God. No, heaven is here because I am here. We got to start living under the reality of that. So Jesus has all power and authority. And in Jesus, our partnership and our authority is completely restored. Listen, if we don't have authority, then the Bible did a really horrible job of explaining that to us. Like it really is confusing if we don't have authority. Like when Jesus says, you know, the works that I do, you will do also in greater works than these because I go to the Father. Like that statement makes no sense if we don't have any authority and power. Like, I mean, I mean, why would he say that to us? I mean, like, you can move mountains. I mean, the Bible's really clear. You can move mountains. Like, why would he say that to us if we don't have any authority? We're just victims. And we're just kind of waiting until we get to heaven. Unless eternity is inside of us. And the Spirit of God 
who is the agent of the kingdom, is living and dwelling in you and in me and wants to partner with us. He, we're, the, we're the limiting factor. Why? Because we have free choice and we can say no or yes. And we're like the fuse. We're like a fuse. Everyone knows, who's, who's my engineer? Engineer, yeah, I got at least one. Right? Man, yeah, thank you. you it, without that fuse, that circuit ain't running. There's no power getting to that motor. But as soon as I put that fuse in, boom, power gets into that motor. We're that fuse. But if we don't understand we're that fuse, that we have a partnership with the Father to release the kingdom of heaven into the earth, nothing's going to happen. Woo, I could get excited on that one. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to jump around here a little bit. I love this. I love Ephesians. Ephesians to me, like if you look at it, it's, you know, Galatians is freedom. Ephesians is kingdom. I mean, Ephesians is kingdom. I mean, it's just everywhere you look, you're like the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Two, verse one. And he, you, you, us, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Here we go, right? According to the prince and the power of the air. Cosmic battle. According to the prince and the power of the air. We used to walk. All of us were under the control before we gave our hearts to Christ, before we surrendered to his lordship, before we became new creations. We were under the prince and the power of the air. We were under the control of the enemy. We were partnering with him. And your friends and my friends who don't know Christ they're partnering with the devil and they don't even know it. They're partnering with the evil one. The very one that we're supposed to conquer and destroy, we're actually partnering with them. According to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God. <laughs> everybody, everybody say, but God. But God. But God. Who is rich in mercy. Here we go. Here's motivation. Why is he doing what he's doing? Because, why is he doing what he's doing? Because of his great love with which he loved us. Because of his great love for which he loved us. Because of his great love that which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up. So we died with Christ. When we said yes to Jesus, we actually uh, just agreed with the fact that we actually died on the cross with Christ the old self is gone. The new has come. We're new creations. I'm not the same. When I came to Christ, I got totally transformed. My motivation, my desires, I'm not saying I was perfect. And my mind needed to be renewed with the reality of who I was because I still thought I was a victim. The enemy was still convincing me that I was a victim. And I didn't believe or understand that I was a victor. But I became a new creation. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heaven. Listen, he made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, at the ages to come, here we go. 
he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In Christ, our identity, the sin nature, right? He killed it. He didn't fix it. He just killed it. We died with Christ, and he renewed it. We became new creations in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Our identity completely. So now we're called to image love. That's who you are. You are the perfect representation of love. Now I know. I'm with you because I know there's times I'm not the perfect rep- representation of love. I get that. But that's my, that's my nature. My very nature is to love and to be love and to show love and to express love and to act out love. Now let me just say, I'm going to just throw this out there. You cannot let the world define what love looks like. Because when we look at love, there's only one person we can look at, and that's Jesus Christ. He is love. He is the perfect representation of love. Love is not acceptance. Love is, love is, is, is perfect in its expression. But he restored our identity as image bearers of the Most High God. And when we look at people, right, we're going to read this, this next scripture that absolutely blows my mind. But what he did for us, he did for the entire world, for crying out loud. He did it for everyone. So when we look at people, we should see image bearers. These are image bearers. Image bearers, that's how, that's how we look at others around us. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the whole household of God, having been built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the, in the Spirit. So Jesus, in Jesus Christ, eternity is redeemed. What is lost in terms of eternity? Completely restored. We no longer have any fear of death. No longer have any fear of death. Death, where is your sting? But the reality is, is that eternity is now. Like, eternity is now for you. It's not some future thing. It's right now. Your relationship with God is right now. You're living eternity. Every time we pray for someone and the kingdom breaks in, eternity breaks into that moment. That's the expression of eternity right there. That's the expression of the cross. It's the declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known, this is what I want you to get, how he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, listen, which in other ages, maybe I should go this way, which in other ages in the past was not made known to the sons of men. So there's a mystery of Christ that is hidden, right? The Old Testament, I love it. There's a lot there. There's a constant revelation, but it's not the fullness of the revelation of who God is and his character and nature. 
as it has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery from which the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, for the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers, cosmic battle, in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I love that. Therefore, somebody say therefore. therefore. If you guys fall asleep on me, I'm going to make you do calisthenics. We'll get up and down. Therefore, thank you, be imitators of God. All of this, the consequence of all this, be imitators of God. That's what Paul says. We're supposed to imitate God. We're supposed to imitate God. Like, let that sink in a little bit. Like, when I walk around, I'm supposed to act like him. I'm supposed to talk like him. I'm supposed to think like him. I'm supposed to be like him. I'm supposed to be the expression of who God is. Imitate God. I love that because that means that there's kind of a learning in there. It's like, you know, I might not get the imitation perfect, but I'm supposed to imitate. I'm supposed to follow him. As dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. In previous ages, the mystery was hidden. This is what I want you to see, all right? So what did Jesus reveal? Two things that Jesus revealed. I'm not going to be able to dive into it for sake of time. But there's two major things, right? If, if it was fine for just Jesus to die, to be, right, to be crucified, and then to be ascended into heaven, okay, then why did he live his life? Why did he walk in with us for 33 years? There was a reason, because he revealed something. He showed us something. What did he show us? The Father. We lost intimacy. We didn't know what the, what the Father was like. Now we know in Christ the motivation, the intent behind who God is. And it's, we see that perfectly. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the exact representation of who the Father is. There's no longer any questioning of motive. He is good, he's good, he's good. Anything that's bad is not God. I'm not saying that there's not f family activity there. We can go down that. That's not for today. But I'm just saying that everything that God does is good, and it's, his motivation is love. So Jesus revealed to us the Father. He is perfectly God. But he's also perfectly who? He's perfectly man. When they asked him, who are you? He said, the son of man. Daniel, we, we, we saw the video, the son of man that was exalted. He is, he's 100% God, he's 100% man. And so he's the perfect representation of God, but he's also the perfect representation of man and who we're called to be. This is why it says, imitate God. If it's something that we could not attain to, then why does it say it? If it's impossible, then why it's, is it in Scripture? We're called to be imitators of God, to walk like him, to be like him, to act like him. Jesus, right, revealed to us how we're supposed to walk in authority and what love is. I'll leave it at that. One last thing. Finally, my brethren, verse 10, this is chapter 6, I'm sorry. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand against who? Stand against all the people, the evil people of this world. Nope. Not. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not, listen, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, Jesus came and he restored our destiny to rule and to reign in the earth with power and authority over the powers of darkness. That's a big one. It's going to take a lifetime to get that one. But I got to keep preaching it. You got to keep living it. You got to keep hearing it. I don't know about you, but I can't get enough of listening to and being underneath kingdom theology. Because when I understand this story and the thread and the redemptive story, and I understand that Jesus is making all things new, and I get to participate with him in this, it radically changes my life and my focus and my purpose. This is what I want you to get. I'm going to leave, leave you with really th- three things. One, first of all, okay, well, let me, let me tell you this story. I got, got a couple minutes. I put, uh, this was in, in our Bible study, and Armistice Day is November 11th. And in November 11th, 1918, the armistice was signed, ending World War I, right? But after that, a ton of people died. There was the battle raged. The battle continued for months until finally all of the insurrections were put underneath the Allied forces, and all of it was squelched and put out. And finally, the age to come, everything was put underneath the Allies' feet. And I believe this is an allegory or a picture, if you will, of the age that we live in. Jesus has already won the battle. Jesus has already paid the price for healing, for rest. Everything of heaven has been purchased and is accessible. That's why he said the kingdom of heaven is near. It's it's at hand. Put your hand out. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do this. Yeah. That's right there. No, I'm serious. So you guys got to quit looking at me, and some of you are looking at me like the kingdom of heaven is here, but it's not there. The kingdom of heaven is there. For you, the kingdom. Come on. Are you with me? We just got to start believing it. We got to start. If Jesus said it, he's either a liar or he's, he's telling the truth. I'm believing that he's, a, he's telling the truth. Listen, Art and I went for hots. I'll tell you a quick story. And I never had gone into a place with this idea that God is near. And this revelation just hit me like, no, he's here. And he wants to invade your space right now. And so Art and I went and prayed with this dear lady, uh, and so we went into a place, and I, f- I thought I had a word of knowledge for healing, and I, I gave it to her. I thought it was like it was her back. She was like, no. So I missed it. She goes, no, my shoulder. And I said, the kingdom of God is near, and he wants to touch you right now. And I said, get, reach out your hand, and I grabbed her hand. And we said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Pain, leave. That's all we did. And she was like, oh, my gosh. And we prayed again. Oh, my gosh. And it, it, the pain just kept going down until she was completely gone. She's just, like, shocked. That's the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's not John Richter. That's the Spirit of God. I can't do that. But that's accessible to every person in this room, and I don't care what age you are. I don't care how young you are. 
It's just willing to take a risk and step out and say, yes, I believe what Jesus says about me. It's thinking like Jesus. It's imitating who he is. And I don't know about you. I'm on a process. I don't do this every day. But I'm learning to act more and more like him. Some of the things, some of you might even take that, please don't take this to this extent, because I think Jesus laughed a lot. In fact, we learned this in, the, in a previous message that he was the happiest, he was the guy, he was the happiest guy on the planet. So everything that the enemy does here on this planet is injustice. Why? Because Jesus paid for it at the cross. It's all injustice. Listen, when I walk around, get this in your thinking. When I walk around and I see somebody limping, I go, that's injustice. When someone's struggling with mental illness, I go, that's injustice. When someone's poor or struggling with the finances, I go, that's injustice. When, when someone is, is feeling rejected and alone, that's injustice. We got to start shaping our thinking and understanding that everything that the enemy doing is unjust because Jesus bought it at the cross. He paid for it at the cross. Every time the kingdom breaks in, it's a reminder and a declaration that Jesus has conquered sin and death and all evil. Every time someone's born again, it's the reminder, Jesus is Lord. Every time someone gets set free, Jesus is Lord. Every time someone gets free of mental illness or depression, Jesus is Lord. And the heaven is coming and invading earth. The kingdom of heaven is where? At hand. Do not settle for anything less than what Jesus died for. We got to quit. Just make, make, just make this. I am not going to settle for anything less than what Jesus died for. I'm not going to settle for anything less than Jesus died for. And don't get in guilt and condemnation because all that guilt and condemnation, if you screw something up, right? I don't know how many times I could just tell you, stand here and say, how many times? I don't have enough fingers and toes to show you how many times I've screwed things up. And he's always there for me. And he's always encouraging me. And he said, get after it again. Do it again. I'm with you, John. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm not mad at you. I love being with you. All right. Worship team, come on up. Enough yelling. Sorry. I'm not yelling at you. Stand up. I am passionate. Because I love the kingdom story. I love the kingdom story. Do not settle anything less than what Jesus died for. Let's stand up. We're going to have some awesome worship.